Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 106 and it's actually, it's a little bit different this time. I am going to be doing all the talking. I am not posting an interview today. There's a lot going on in life. Uh, My uncle is very sick and I'm going to go see him. I'm trying to make arrangements to get out of town and, and go say my goodbyes. And there's just a lot going on. I just came off of a big trip to LA and then New York. And uh, I just want to, I want to make sure I'm consistent with you guys and always putting out an episode every week. But I didn't have time to really dig through and decide which interview to do. So here we are. And The first thing I want to mention is last week's episode, episode 105 with David Hall, which I thought was an exceptional conversation. There was a section, I had a bunch of technical difficulties last week with the computer, and in his episode, there's a section that when I listened back, uh, I realized was missing. And it's a pretty important part. It has to do with his granddaughter and a report that came back. And I don't want to give anything away. I really want you to hear the episode. So suffice it to say, for those of you who listened to the episode and thought, uh, okay, what about the report? It is now there. For those of you that haven't listened, you won't know the difference. Just go listen and everything is is normal. Um, the I did put it in there. right. It's right around the 202 mark. So if you've listened and you are missing that piece, it is now there. Everybody else just listen to as normal. That is that piece of business. So last week I went up to New York and Schenectady and to Union College where they honored me with the 2008 Valerie J. Hoffman. And what that means is I get to go to Union College and give a talk about Hey Human and intersectionality, and feminism, and gender, and all sorts of things. It was super cool, and I gave this talk, and they give one uh, Valerie J. Hoffman out a year, and it was me and Hey Human, and it was super cool, and I'm really honored by that. Um, One of the things that I talked about, so there was a, a big room full of people, and I was talking about everything with the podcast, And somebody in the audience asked me what some of my more interesting or favorite episodes were or things that struck me. And one of the episodes I referenced was the one with Richard Nichols, episode 30, I believe. And he is the Grand Dragon in the KKK. And I talked about why that was a really intense episode for me. And, um, you know, my, my dad is half, my dad is Jewish, so I'm half Jewish. My mother is Episcopalian, but they think that the Swiss in her family hid their Jewishness to stay alive. Uh, And I was talking about what it was like to be a Jewish person talking to this KKK guy, knowing full well that his comments during the conversation was how much, you know, he hated Jews, that he would live next door to black people. He didn't really want to live around black people, but, uh, but he really hated Jews in his words, he said, because they killed Jesus. And so I'm talking about this in the lecture and there were a couple of people in, in, you know, in the audience who were black and, 
And in retrospect, I just want to say, like, you know, for me to talk about Jewishness in regards to the KKK and and what it's like to, you know, when I was saying, oh, they want to kill the, the Jewish people. Well, you know, the KKK has a long history of killing black people. And in retrospect of the conversation that I had with this group, it may have felt for some people like I was lessening the experience of uh, black people in America in in reference to the Klan. And that is in no means what I meant to do. But I acknowledge the fact that it may have felt that way. And um, because of the way I was talking about it, I can only talk about my own experience. And the thing about, like, when I was a kid, um, I used to wear a Star of David. And uh, I got... I mean, mercilessly made fun of by kids in school and, you know, taunted by people on the street and said, you know, lots of anti-Semitic slurs and things like that. And um, so I stopped wearing the Star of David. Uh, I remember one time I was at a summer job and some neo-Nazis came in to the place where I worked. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, so I was, you know, I took my necklace off and I put it in my pocket when you're a person of color, you don't get to take that off. You know, I, I can move through the world uh, and my Jewishness, my heritage uh, is not known to the world. But if I were a black person, I don't get to turn my skin inside out. It is an obviousness that is inescapable. And so in retrospect on that conversation I had to this room where I was talking about, oh man, he really wanted to kill Jewish people. I'm sh- I mean, I could see why that would be offensive to people who have this long history of having to deal with the Klan and lynchings. So I just, I wanted to talk about it because I think it's an important thing to bring up that even though I still to this day um, experience anti-Semitism and I don't, you know, I don't look at myself as being any particular religion at all. I believe in something bigger than myself. I call it God. I believe that we should treat each other uh, with respect and kindness and love. I have Christ consciousness. I do believe all these things. Um, but I don't know if I affiliate myself with a particular religion. Again, it means I get to be invisible as I move through my life. Um, and all of this just really got me thinking about the experiences that we all have and how um, how we think we might know how somebody feels, but we, we really don't unless we are, you know, unless we're them, right? And we can never be them. So all we have is our own experience. And so in uh, basically what I'm saying is that in speaking about my experience and sitting down with this man who was very vocal to me about hating Jews and sort of blasé about his dislike of black people. Now that's a modern day guy, this one particular member of the KKK. He does not speak for all the KKK. I'm sure if I talked to some other person in the KKK, they would be like, kill all the black people, kill all the Asian people, kill all the whatever their proclivity of hate is. But in my experience in that moment interviewing Richard, that that wasn't my experience. Um, and I did not let on that I was half Jewish because I feared what that would mean. Again, I get to be invisible. I was at a um, having snacks with a group of women 
uh, one night a few months back, and somebody at the table, unbeknownst to them, they didn't know I was, you know, half Jewish, somebody at the table made a comment about how all Jews have terrible table manners. And my head swiveled around. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? And it was so shocking. These were grown-up people, educated people. And uh, it's, to me, I've always felt this alignment, personally. This is me, Susan. I've always felt this alignment with um, that, that, that feeling that blacks and Jews have, in their own way, a shared feeling. I, I can't even explain it well. And so I'm not going to dive too deep into it. Just... On, from my perspective, I feel like, oh yeah, I, I get it because in the Jewish history, um, they too have been marginalized and murdered, and you know the list goes on and on. The comparisons are there. Um, so anyway, I just kind of wanted to get that out there because um, it was important to me. I was I I did a lot of thinking about it, and uh, it seemed worthwhile to talk about. And so here we are. <laughs> it was an incredible experience to be able to have that opportunity to to talk to everyone about Hey Human. I was, again, so very honored that they asked me. And it's, I love doing this podcast so very much. And the fact that people are acknowledging um, the work is just really lovely. So... Schenectady was great. Um, I got to interview a couple other professors and um, administrators there at Union College. And I've always uh, enjoyed talking with everyone I've met there. Just really fascinating human beings. Very bright, very articulate, very passionate. And, you know, exciting to be around that. Uh, so that that was my experience, <laughs> I have to say. Um on my way to Schenectady, so I took a train. I was in New York hanging out and doing things, you know, podcasting. I did some songwriting while I was there, um, and I had to take the train. So got my ticket, got on the Amtrak, heading down the way, and about 45 minutes into the train ride, we stop. And I didn't really think anything of it because we were at a station, uh, Cordland, Cordland, I think it was, and, which again, couple couple stops down from the Penn Station, and I was working on something, so I didn't really notice how long we were sitting there. And I looked up and I thought, my goodness, we we've been here for a while. And I kind of craned my neck around to see what was going on, and I realized that con- the conductors were were moving about uh, more than normal. And I said, what's going on? And one of the men said, well, uh, there's been a tornado that breezed right past up ahead and ripped up a bunch of trees, and those trees are now on the tracks, and we're not going anywhere. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I hunkered down. About six hours went by, (laughs) and we still didn't know what was going on. At this point, they had opened the uh, snack bar, but I'm celiac, and so there wasn't really anything I could eat. Everything was breaded or cookies and that kind of thing. And the kind people, the staff, found me some grapes and an orange, so I nibbled on that. And they gave us, you know, they gave us all water, and they let us walk around outside and such. Um, 
And it, it was soon to be realized that we were not moving forward and we certainly weren't going backward. Uh, so the, the trained people said, well, we are here for the long haul. It looks like it may be four in the morning. Now, mind you, I had to get to Schenectady. I had, you know, all this stuff going on up there. And I didn't know what I was going to do if I, if I was on the train till four in the morning. There was still no guarantee that the tracks weren't broken or hurt, you know, screwed up from the tornado. So I had to make a decision. I texted some friends explaining my situation and um, a couple of very dear friends got back to me and said, we've got you an Uber. It's on the way. Get off the train and go to Schenectady. Um, I don't know that they would want to be acknowledged publicly. So I'm just gonna, if you're listening, thank you so very much. That was an incredible gift. Um, and I really appreciate it. And I got to Schenectady around one in the morning and man, I tell you what, when I came back down, uh, back into New York, um, after all the stuff I was doing up there, it was finished to see the trees uprooted just as if somebody just plucked them like they were, you know, carrots from a garden was insane. These huge, huge trees and all their root system just pulled straight out of the ground. The power that that entails is just, it's mind boggling and awe inspiring. So that was a pretty intense thing. Um, while I was in New York, uh, the shooting happened in Santa Fe and, you know, unfortunately it's starting to feel like an everyday occurrence. Uh, I was in a cab uh, driving through the city and the driver uh, happened to be Pakistani and we were talking about how sad it was and what what is to be done and I brought up something that I had put on Facebook after this happened that excuse me <laughs> that um I just burped for all of you to hear uh, I had posted on my Facebook wall that it is tragic, so, so very sad and tragic that these kids have died and many were injured. And I said, but also remember that all over the world, kids are being killed. And we also need to acknowledge their deaths and, and be up in arms and frustrated and sad and horrified by the deaths of all of these children globally. Um, I think it was an important thing to talk about. Also, what was going on right then, you know, the Gaza situation was happening and kids were being killed there. It's just, there is no justification for murdering children. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. And we were talking, so I was talking with this Pakistani cabbie. And when I say I'll say it again, I'm sure that there's going to be more, unfortunately. So yeah, I probably will say it again. But this Pakistani uh, cab driver and I were having this conversation about children and about uh, white skin versus brown skin and the, you know, who gets to be uh, more important as far as uh, deserving of our empathy globally. And he talked about a massacre that happened in Pakistan where uh, uh, militants came in and just, just annihilated a whole I think it was 150 or some odd children. And he said that in a response to that, the government swooped in and, and weeded out a lot of the terror cells. Um, 
you know, I don't even really remember hearing too much about that. Um, and or maybe it's just that I hear so much about all these things happening all the time that I can't even keep track anymore. It's just, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy world. And half the time I'm just holding on thinking, okay, well, my, my little moments of sitting down with people and, and talking with them, you know, I'd like to think that it's somehow making the world smaller and then I'm doing my part. I had this conversation with actually with one of the union professors when I was up there and we were at the bar having a cocktail and eating chicken wings and talking about politics and the world and he's he happened to be Muslim and we talked about that and all this stuff and I brought up the podcast and how it was my response to a world gone mad and he said well what do you think that's going to do you know that's 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 great that you do that but it's just like one little thing and how is that going to affect the world globally and I understood what he was saying you know that revolutions change the world but I also believe that Singular moments change the world. And I have to believe that these conversations I have are, are again, making the world smaller or maybe uh, safer or I, I don't even know what. It's just it's so important to me. And so I argued him that, that no, my podcast is the little, little engine that could, that that it is important that one person that you smile at today or say, you know, hope you're doing well, or the person you call and say, hey, I haven't, haven't thought about you or I haven't talked to you for a while and I was thinking about you, just hello. Just all those tiny, tiny interactions do so much because the web is interconnected. So yeah, that was that. I had a show with my friend Nikki Fernandez. Uh, check out her music online, by the way. Nikki, uh, I think it's, is it Nikki Shannon Fernandez music.com? If you, if you search for her, you're going to find her. She's great. Um, and she and I do a lot of writing together and we performed at a place called Henrietta Hudson's uh, on Hudson <laughs> in New York City. And it was so much fun. The crowd was incredible. Everyone was so gracious and lovely. And we were on such a high when we left the venue. And we went back to where uh, I was staying, dropped off stuff, and decided to go grab some food. And uh, did so. And ate our faces off. And we finished up around 1.30 in the morning and walked back to the place and... It was a, it's a probably seven, eight story walk up, very New York. Started walking up to the apartment on the fifth floor-ish, uh, opened the door, kicked off the shoes. Uh, Nikki went about doing whatever she was doing. And then from behind me, the door, I heard something. And I thought, what, what was that? I couldn't tell if it was reverie or terror. They kind of sound the same. Uh, when they're muffled and I opened the door to see and I heard a man's voice say I'm gonna fucking kill you and then I heard a woman screaming and 
I turned to Nikki and in a blink of an eye and I said, call 911. And then I took off running. I couldn't tell because it was a stairwell which direction the sound was coming from. Was it up or down? So I just started descending the stairs to the landing. There was nobody anywhere and I could hear the melee. So then I ran back all the way past the apartment I was in and back up the next couple flights. And as I was running up, uh, I was yelling, is there a weapon? And the woman says, he's got a knife. And then I yelled to Nikki, tell the police he's armed and dangerous. And all the while I'm running up the stairs thinking, okay, how am I going to deal with this man? I can hear him throwing this woman around like a rag doll and she's screaming and he's swearing at her and calling her all sorts of names and saying he's going to kill her. And I'm running up the stairs and mind you, we had just had this huge dinner, if you can imagine, but I have never ascended stairs so quickly in my life. And I realized that uh, I was only about, you know, a flight away and I yelled up, we've called the, we've called 911 thinking somehow that might diffuse it or something. I don't know what I was thinking. And I was running through the scenarios. Okay, I know he has a knife. I know this woman is being hurt. What am I going to do when I'm face to face with them? I need to get between the man and the woman and the knife somehow. And all this is going through my head. And then I hear a he says another, he threatens to kill her again. And then I hear her slam to the ground and then another slam. And just as I got to that floor and there she was in a heap on the ground and her foot is stuck in the door and Nikki is coming running up behind me and we get to this woman and she, first of all, her foot is stuck in the door. So we're trying to, Nikki runs over and she's trying to dislodge it. We're pulling on her and I'm thinking, okay, this man has a knife and we are right outside his door. Uh, so I was like, we got it. We got to go. We got to go. Uh, what's, you know, just grab everything. So we just scooped up her and we scooped up all of our stuff and we pulled her down to where we were. And I said, we can't stay here either because if he comes out and he's violent, we, we got to go. So the police are on their way. Let's go outside. And so we take, Nikki and I take her outside and start talking to her. She's in shock, as are we really. And he's screaming out the window off, you know, up at the top. Um, and the way he's yelling, it seems that he thinks she called the police, although I'm not sure how he would come to that decision. She tells us that she had arrived to give the man a massage and that he had opened the door and decided he didn't want her or like her. And she said, well, compensate me for my cab ride so I can get home, my Uber or whatever. And he went inside as if to get money and he returned with a butcher knife and started attacking her, which is what we heard. I mean, we must have come in right when all of this was going down. Thank God. Uh, so she's, she's talking about what was going on and, and there was a giant clump of hair in her purse, which I noticed, but I didn't mention thinking, oh my God what is that? And Nikki's saying, you know, are you okay? What can we do? Nikki gave her a bottle of water and then the police show up and it must've been training day because there was about, I don't know, eight cops or something. There were so many police officers. They get out and they say, what's going on? And I said, 
officers, this is what's going on. And I explained, and Nikki kind of also tried to explain. She said, I'm the one who called 911. And this woman is sort of slouched over and she's not really freaking out. She's actually incredibly calm because I think she's in shock. There is a officer, a woman officer standing just a couple steps uh, in front of me. I'm not even wearing shoes because I had kicked them off in the apartment. And she looks at me trying to explain everything. She turns away from me and, and looks to the woman and takes her in in her, you know, takes in her, uh, her presence or whatever and says, what were you doing here? And the woman said, I was here to give him a massage, but he didn't want one. And then she explained and the officer said, well, how did you arrange for this? Which immediately set me on my, uh, irritations. I thought, what does that have to do with anything? And the woman said, well, we've been texting and the officer said, well, let me see those texts. At this point, I am annoyed. And I interject and say, excuse me, officer, what does the text have anything to do with anything? This woman was attacked by a man with a knife. We are the witness. We heard and saw things, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she ignores me completely, this officer, and again asks the woman, let me see those texts. And I said to the woman whose name I did not get, unfortunately. But I said to her, I said, you don't, you don't have to show her that. It has nothing to do with the, with the issue at hand. And the officer turned back to me. She said, you need to stay out of this. And I said, I am the witness. Like I saw, we called 911. And she turned back to uh, the woman and the woman was getting out her text to show the officer. And I said to the officer, why are you being so mean? And I said it just like that, very matter of fact. And the officer ignores me, takes the phone away from the woman. And I say again, excuse me, but why are you being so mean to her? She's just been attacked. And the officer turns to me and says, I'm not being mean. And Nikki gives me this look like, you better shut up. But I was, I was pissed. I'm like, this woman has been through enough. You don't have to treat her like, you know, like you're treating her. So it was pretty clear at this point that this woman is a sex worker. The, the, the officer is now looking at Nikki and me like, how do you know this person? Whatever. So another officer comes up and uh, takes the woman away just down the, the street a little bit, probably to get her statement. And I say again, officer, I was there for the whole thing, basically. Heard it all. This is what he said. This is what I heard. This is blah, blah, blah. She turns to me and says, how do you know this woman? And I said, I don't know her. I just met her, you know, when all this happened. And she looked at me and then looked at Nikki and she said, and do you know her? And Nikki said, no, I do not know her. So then that officer went off to go talk to the woman. Now a male officer comes and stands next to me and he looks at me and I look at him and he says, how do you know this woman? I was like, what is going on? And I said, I do not know this woman. I've only just met her tonight. What are you doing here? I'm staying in this apartment. I'm here writing songs and doing interviews and blah, blah, blah. And we had a performance tonight and we came home late and this all happened. And he looked at me again and he just, he had zero 
patience or personality or interest in anything I was saying on this woman's behalf. And he said, you don't know her at all. And I said, no, sir, I do not know her at all. And he said, why would you help her? That's what he said. I thought, what do you mean? And so I said, what do you mean? He said, why would you help a complete stranger if you don't know her? And I said, because she was in danger and she was calling out for help and she was being attacked. And he said, well, that's not normal to help somebody like that. And to his point, Nikki had gone around to different apartments knocking on the doors for help and people would say back, not interested or can't help or go away because we were trying to, you know, as we were trying to deal with her, as I'm running up the stairs, you know, Nikki's on the phone with 911 trying to get other people so that we can deal with what's going on in maybe a group and be safer. So (laughs) this officer says to me, you know, why would you help somebody you don't even know? Why would you run toward a man with a knife? And I said, well, because somebody was in danger and my instinct is to run toward that and protect the person that's hurting. And he said, well, that's not normal. And I said, what can I say? I guess I'm a nice person. And then he snapped back, I'm a nice person. (laughs) And I said, okay. It was so weird and creepy and gross. And there was so much disrespect of this woman because also, by the way, uh, she's black, right? So is are they disrespecting her because she's black? Are they disrespecting her because she's a woman? Are they disrespecting her because it's pretty clear she's a sex worker? Is it all of the above? I, I don't know, but I don't like it. And I keep repeating, hey, somebody needs to take my statement. So then that officer, not interested in taking my statement, also walks away. And there's another woman police officer, as I said, there were so many of them. There was another woman police officer kind of over by one of the cop cars. And I said, excuse me. And she turned toward me and I said, look, actually, you know what? The other, the other woman officer had walked back over. So both of them were there. I said, look, even if she's a sex worker, she doesn't deserve to be treated like this. She's a human being and she was assaulted. And the, uh, the, the first woman that was crunchy at me said, what did you say? And I repeated, even if she's a sex worker, she still deserves to be treated, you know, better than you guys are treating her. She's a victim in this and we're the witnesses. (sighs) They were not interested in that at all. Again, dismissed. I turned to Nikki. I said, look, he's going to be brought down here any minute because a bunch of the officers had gone up to where he was. And I said, "Uh, you know, why don't you get out of here? Um, I'll deal with this. So she went up the street where apparently another crazy thing was going on, but that's a whole nother story and not mine to tell because I wasn't there. But um, meanwhile, they bring him down. They walk him past me. It's like an older dude. Uh, and then they bring the knife, which was gigantic. I'm so glad I didn't have to go face to face with that. And, uh, they put him in a car and then another officer shows up. He's younger than the rest. And he has a different demeanor than the rest, which I noted. 
And I kept saying, hey, does anybody want to take my statement? I was a witness, totally being ignored. And the new officer on the scene walks over to the woman, brings her right next to me and says, ma'am, I'm going to have to handcuff you and take you in. Now, so in a twist, turns out the man, uh, the perpetrator, uh, allegedly, but I'm going to call him the perpetrator since he was, um, had a cut on his arm from the knife and he insisted that the woman stabbed him. Remember, I heard this whole thing go down. I heard her being thrown around like a rag doll. I heard him threaten to kill her. And all she wanted was cab fare home. And so they're arresting her. They put her in the car. And that officer, that young, newer officer on on the scene uh, came up. And I said, somebody needs to take my statement. And he turns to me. And I said, come here. And he came over to me and I said, why did you just arrest her? She's the victim. And he said, well, he said that she stabbed him. I was like, well, if she did, it was in self-defense. And he said, yeah, but we have to take them both in. It's just the way it goes. And I said, okay. I said, look, I've been here for now. It's going on an hour and a half and nobody has talked to me about my statement. Nobody's written anything down. Nobody even has my name. What's that about? And he said, well, here, you know, you can text me your information. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I did. When I got back in the apartment, you know, I te- I didn't my phone on me. When I walked up to the apartment, I got my phone. I texted it to him. And uh, he responded. He said, hey, send me your ID. So I did. Again, the whole time I got the feeling that all these officers thought that Nikki and I were sex workers because somehow we knew her and it was a whole big thing or something. So I texted him my ID and I said, look, I just want this woman to be safe. And these were, and I repeated everything that I witnessed and heard and in the text. And then Nikki also mentioned that her sister works with people who are, uh, who have been in sex work and are trying to transition out. So I brought up Nikki's sister and said, hey, this is a resource. Can you get that to her, um, to the woman? And also, you know, she really, she's a victim in this. And I know that, you know, y'all are probably thinking, oh, (laughs) whatever, because she's a sex worker, but she's a human being and deserves to be protected from lunatics. And he wrote back, he said, okay, thanks for all this information. And the next day I woke up. Well, first of all, that all went down. Nikki, I was sitting on the floor, I had to pack. I was leaving the next day. I was sitting on the floor trying to pack all my stuff. And then it just hit me. And it hit me so hard and I just, I just started sobbing and then Nikki started crying and we hugged each other and I said, I just don't understand. They're supposed to protect the underdog. You know, they're supposed to recognize the victim and help the victim. And it was just, it seemed so obvious how they were treating her was because of what she has chosen to do for a living. But I tell you what, she wasn't high. She was really lucid. 
freaked out, but super lucid. And Nikki and I were talking about, you know, maybe she's got kids and she not know how else to support them. Or maybe she's got a couple jobs and she does this as well. Who knows what her story is? But she deserves better than what she got that night uh, from the police officers, for sure. And she certainly deserved better than what that man did. Um, I don't know if he opened the door and decided she wasn't good looking enough for him or he wanted a white girl or, you know, something else than what he got, <clears throat> but something made him snap and that's not okay. And it just, I know plenty of police officers who are really lovely people who really are trying to make a difference and do right in the world. And here was this group of officers that showed up and you know, they've probably, it's the third thing they've seen that night that has, you know, mirroring what had gone down. Yeah. And I get that. But, man, if you get to that point where you stop seeing individuals as human beings, there's something wrong with the system, obviously. And I've talked about that, you know, before on this podcast. I just, I really wanted to talk about that experience that I had because it was so intense and it really kicked my ass. It really did. And Nikki, of course, said, listen, Susan, if somebody ever says they have a knife or you ever hear an altercation like that, just wait for the police. Don't go running toward it, which in hindsight is really great advice. Uh, but, you know, you can't help the way you respond in an instant so, um, I hope wherever she is, she's okay, but it was a heck of an experience. And I hope that me texting that officer, you know, helped him to see her in a different light. I followed up the next day. I sent him another text and I said, can you tell me what's going on? Is she okay? Do you have any updates? And he never responded to me. So I responded back to his non-response with, a frowny face emoji. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Such a bummer. But overall, New York was an incredible, incredible experience. And again, I know not all officers are like the ones that I encountered that night. But the moral of this story, I suppose, is don't judge a person you don't know their circumstance. You don't know why they do what they do. She may be just barely surviving. And we don't know her story. We do know that she was injured. You know, one of the things when all the officers were standing around, I pointed at her bag and I said, is that your hair? The man had grabbed the top of her head so strong that he pulled out her hair and it was now resting in her bag. She had gathered it up. So there's that as well. And so I made sure to bring that up in front of the officers who really couldn't care less. And of course, they really wanted to make Nikki and, and me a sex worker as well because it would fit better in the scenario of why I would help somebody like that woman. I'm putting that in quotes. But you know what? We're all just human beings. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it a million times and maybe ad nauseum, but that's okay. Um, what a week. <laughs>
New York, you know, Big Apple, take a bite, bite you right back. So that's uh, that's it. That's all, uh, that's all I've got to tell you about my week. Uh, New York, I did go running. That was really wonderful. Uh, it was a beautiful day, and I ran down by the water and took it all in. It was incredible. Um, that town really is something. And I know one bad experience uh, does not an entire <laughs> experience make. But for the sake of that woman, um, I wanted to tell her story and uh, show her that compassion. And I hope she's okay. And I hope that the fact that Nikki and I, and Nikki brought this up, I hope the fact that we were there for her and we stood up for her and that she could hear us doing so, that who knows, maybe that helped her feel a little bit better about being in the world. It's all we can do for each other, really. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again to Union College for that awesome moment um, of being able to talk to everybody and receiving the Valerie J. Hoffman. Um, thank you f- for listening. You know, uh, for all your support, for subscribing and reviewing and sending me emails, uh, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com, by the way. Um, yeah, it's just, I love doing this beyond measure. And because you keep listening, I get to keep doing episodes. So thank you for that. Um, take care of each other. I'm sending you love. And uh, see you next week. Bye-bye.